I invite you to hear these words from the Gospel of John, chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. Now, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Now, gathered there together was Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. And Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, Well, we'll go with you. And they went out and got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach But the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, you have no fish, have you? And they answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there was so many fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard it, uh, that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and then jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in with the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from shore, about a hundred yards away. Now when they had gone ashore, They saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three of them, and though they were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. Now, this was the third time that Jesus had appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon? Son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to them, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. A second time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wished. 
But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten your belt and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. And after this, Jesus said to him, follow me. And the church said, Well, good morning. It's again a pleasure to be here again at, here again at Johnson Street. Uh, Vicki and I sailed in early this morning. Uh, I would have never thought that you could take a boat to get from Abilene, Texas to San Angelo, but this morning might have been your chance. Uh, wonderful to drive across uh, that stretch of uh, territory and see wheat fields full and lush and Earth is heavy and full with water and rain and cattle content and llamas looking soggy and soaked, I tell you. A soggy llama, I tell you, that's something to see. <clears throat> it's a pleasure and it's a joy to, to be with you here. This, uh, this text uh, from John 21 is sort of an interesting thing to me. Really, it seems as though the writer had finished writing the gospel at the end of chapter 20. You know, that we, I didn't read that part, but right at the end of chapter 20, now these things Jesus did in the presence of others uh, so that, uh, that you might believe, and believing in him you might have life. And There are many other things written, but these are the ones he's been recorded so that you would know. And it's sort of, he sums it up, and then he gets to 21, and it's like, oh, I forgot something, let me add something in. It, I know it happens, uh, it happens a lot, actually, I think, for us, we... We're working on a business plan, and we're putting together five years of of strategic thinking out ahead, and we do financial projections, and we work all kinds of things out, and find out the sorts of assets that we're going to need, and we get ready to present this to colleagues at work, and then, oops, we forgot, we forgot to get some check-ins with some other collaborative partners that we need, or or maybe you're having somebody over for uh, dinner, and you've got... uh, Something in the oven, you got the main dish cooking away, and you got stuff on the top, on the stovetop, you got the bread to go in, and just as the folks drive up into the driveway, you go, oh, I forgot to put the salad together. Ah! This, this sort of thing happens, unfinished business that just creeps in on you. Uh, I've been thinking, uh, years ago, we had a boat, uh, several boats actually, but we had a, an old 17 or 18 foot inboard outboard boat. Uh, anybody you know what a mercruiser engine is? Somebody nod for me. Yeah, okay. You know, and uh, the, the lower unit, there was some, something broke in there, and I decided with a manual that I'd take it all apart. And I had pieces all over the garage floor, and I put the new pieces in and began to rebuild that thing. And when I got it all done and got the prop back on and everything, and I looked, and there was one spring laying on the garage floor. Unfinished business. That's a problem. That's a problem. Well, I feel that way a little bit when I look at this text. It's as if we've got it all buttoned up tight, and then the writer says, oh, there's something else here, just a little something else that needs to be said. And scholars wrestle with what that something else is. Several, of, several folks comment about that. Is it, is it possible that, uh, that we need to say a little more about the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is 
actually after the reading that I read this morning. It's, it's the very, very tail end. What's going on with him? Uh, what, what's the situation with him? Or others suggest that maybe uh, the writer here wants to make sure, because right at the end of the first century, there were some folks running around saying, well, Jesus was, well, there was Jesus, but he wasn't really real, really. He wasn't really flesh and blood. He, he, he uh, was sort of the spirit being. And so let's tell another story that emphasizes that even after the resurrection, Jesus was, had a physical, had a body of some sort and could eat fish and had holes in his hands and all that other kind of stuff. We need to really anchor this to kind of counterbalance this notion that somehow or another Jesus was some sort of ethereal spirit being and not really real. Maybe that's what's going on here. Well, maybe, maybe. But I've, I've got another theory and I think it speaks to to, to, to not only those who were there on that lake shore on that occasion, but to people who were reading this that John was writing to, all the way down through history, as Kurt was talking about, each week we gather together, Christian believers gather together week to week from year to year throughout the centuries, all have one thing in common. And the one thing we all share in common is that we live after the resurrection post-resurrection. And there's almost this need to say, look, for those of you who live after the resurrection, I want to say to you that Jesus is still up to good stuff just like he was during his ministry. There's several things interesting to me about this. Uh, In this little story that we've heard this morning, there's some things that sort of bounce back to what we heard if we'd read the the whole Gospel of John, back in the ministry of Jesus. For example, example, we've got loaves and fish in our story today, right? Jesus is cooking breakfast there. But if we go back into the story, deep back into the Gospel of John, there's another occasion when there's some loaves and fish, right? Time when Jesus fed not just a bunch of hungry fishermen, but 5,000 people. This, This notion that there was a need for food, And Jesus took care of it, and on this breakfast meeting on the side of the lake, he does it again. Or or another thing that's at work. Remember back in the stories of Jesus, there's this time at a great party. It's a wedding in Cana, of all places. And they're having a big party, a big wedding, and they run out of wine. No wine! What are we going to do? They looked everywhere. No wine. And Jesus steps into that with a little poke from his mother. You remember the story, right? And suddenly we've got not just a little bit of wine, we got a lot of wine, and it's not just any old kind of wine. It's great wine. It's the best wine ever, the best vintage. You've been holding back on us kind of wine. So nothing to something in abundance. And here in our story today, we've got some fishermen who do what fishermen do, Right? They're sitting around drinking coffee and, well, we don't have anything else better to do. Let's go fishing. Okay, let's go fishing. And they get the boat, they go out to the lake, they put it in there, and they sit out there on that lake all night long. Has anybody ever done this? Come on, fishermen, fess up. We hear about the big fish. You've spent all night out on the lake and you end up with nothing, nada, not a thing in the bucket. It's been one of those kind of nights. Nothing, absence. But then Jesus shows up, speaks a word, they flip the nets from one side of the boat to the other, and guess what we got? 
It's time for a fish fry. 153 fish. Abundance. Well, I wonder, I wonder if we're being reminded of something here. That those of us who live in the post-resurrection communities aren't missing out on anything because Jesus was a present and at work in the world before the resurrection. He is present and at work in the world post-resurrection. I know that's a big word for Sunday morning. But after the Easter Sunday, right? That Jesus is at work in our world. And it calls on me to say to you and to me and to us, we need to practice gratitude. A sense of thankfulness that God is present. And it's one of the things that I want to say to you here at Johnson Street for my couple, three months now that I've been able to journey with you in and out, here and there, meeting with some of you and and working alongside of you a bit, is that there is so much to be grateful for here. I know that in this time of transition, it's like, oh, what's going to happen? What's going to be next? But, you know, I think it's important to be thankful for the fact that there have been Christian people meeting here for over a hundred years. And and there's there's a great group of shepherds and elders that lead this congregation. And you've got this great staff. And there's so many ways in which this church is embedded in the life of this city here in San Angelo. And there's so much going on that we need to be thankful. We need to practice a a saying, thank you, Lord, for the work that you have done and that you are doing. And not only do we do that corporately, and I call our attention to it today corporately, but I want to say to us as individuals that it's important to practice a sense of gratitude, of thankfulness. Not just being thankful for two inches in the rain gauge, like Brian noted earlier, though that's something to be thankful for, right? Right? We do live in West Texas, amen? And we are thankful for that. And, uh, and I want us to be thankful for that. But I want us to be thankful for the little things. You know, our ability to be thankful in everything starts with our ability to be thankful for the smallest of things. A good cup of hot coffee early in the morning. Thank you, Lord. For rest and sleep Even if it's just a couple hours at a time, which was sort of been my thing. I'm struggling with the cold and I'm up a lot. But even so, I'm grateful to be able to lay down for just a little bit, get some sleep. It's good. Thank you, Lord, for the quality of relationships and family and for, for being able to get into a car and start it, turn it on, and it starts, right? And I'm able to go to work. To be able to find the smallest of things, a cool, fresh breeze that comes sweeping around out of the north after a long, hot, hot day. There, there are so many things for us to be thankful for. And when we cultivate an attitude of thankfulness, it opens us up to see and pay attention to what God is actually doing in our world. That's where I'm headed with this. To be able to see the ways in which God shows up with bread and fish for us, that, that blesses and enriches our lives. That's what I want us to pay attention to. You know, I was struck by this just this past week. I, I uh, was in Boston last weekend and preached, worked with the church through the weekend and preached that, sun, that last Sunday morning uh, to that congregation. Uh, it's a little different kind of thing. I didn't show up in a pickup truck there. I, I drove narrow little streets around those big three-decker houses in Boston and past Fenway Park and all of that good stuff. Uh, 
the couple that was hosting me last week, Tess, the, the wife, uh, took me on in to church early, and we stopped by to pick up a, another young woman by the name of Jaden. And Jaden's about 20 years old. And before we picked her up, Tess told me a little bit about Jaden. She, she, she told me that uh, Jaden, about 20 years of age, had, had suffered a lot in her life. Her father had been uh, physically abusive, sexually abusive to her. Her mother had been absent in her life. She has some learning disabilities. And just the very fact that Jaden was uh, now at 20, just about to finish up her GED and get that squared away, was a kind of a big deal. And the church had reached out to her and had helped nudge her toward faith. And, and uh, we were picking her up early because she was going to help with uh, some of the youth program that, that morning. And so we stopped, we got Jaden in the car, and after the pleasantries were said, and I don't think she'd ever met anybody from Texas, I was sort of an oddity to her, and I wasn't even wearing cowboy boots, but, but uh, we you know, got to visit a little bit, and then we're driving along, and then uh, Jaden begins to talk about her life and her day, or how things are going on, and it was lament after lament after lament, and there's plenty in her life to lament about. But then I watched with great wonder as Tess did what good Christian women do, take that that ability to be a mom or an aunt and go to work gently and lovingly with Jaden. It was artful to see what she did. She began to say, now Jaden, now I I know you're having trouble with uh, your, your classes, but isn't it true that you've actually got this award for a full ride scholarship starting next fall? right? If you can get this GE done, you've got college coming for free. Oh, uh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, and by the way, with your health, didn't you, get that, didn't you get that appointment with that doctor? Yeah, this, that, and the other. And what Tess was doing was prompting Jaden to see the good things that were actually going on in her life. Well, yeah, well, you know, Jaden was sort of like ruffled by all that, but we got in into church, we had worship, and there was coffee hour later, and I saw Jaden sitting there drinking a cup of coffee with several others, and uh, she caught my eye, and I caught her eye, and, uh, and she then came up to me and said, you know what I've got to learn to do? And I said, what's that, Jaden? And she said this, I have just got to learn to be grateful. I thought, Wow. Wow, I thought, you know, if Jaden could learn that at age 20, she is well on her way to finding a way to live life with grace and possibility. Because it's only when we see with gratitude the good things that God is bringing into our lives that we're able to place and stay in close relationship with God as he is all around us doing the work that he is doing. Big lesson. And it's that kind of thing that I think is working its way in this text that I'm inviting you to consider this morning. But there's still a little something unfinished yet. Because one of the persons in this story, it seems to me, is still wrestling with some unfinished stuff. Do you remember now, uh, I was talking about stuff that's in this chapter that we're back in the gospel itself. And we got Jesus standing by a charcoal fire cooking breakfast in our story, right? But if we go back into deeper, back into the gospel, do you know where the last time we saw a charcoal fire burning? Well, it was at Caiaphas' house. It was the night that Jesus was arrested. And Peter was there. And Peter, not once, not twice, but three times, blew it 
when it came time to fess up and say, I know Jesus. We got to think about Peter a little bit. Because sometimes we find ourselves in life circumstances being so consumed by our own guilt or frustration or failure that we can't find our way out of the paper bag that we're in. And I use paper bag because it's not that much, but it's holding us down. And what's holding us down is our inability to let God reach into our paper bag and flick his finger at it and burst through it with the announcement that he really, 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 really loves us and releases us from the stuff that we let hold us down. And that's where Peter's at. You know, we've got this, this thing where Jesus says, do you love me, Jesus? Uh, do you love me, Peter? And Peter, oh, yes, I do. Feed my sheep. And he does it three times. It's not like that's some sort of wooden thing that's going on. I think what's happening there after breakfast, you know, when, you're, when you get your tummy full, you get kind of settled in, it's a really good time to have a nice conversation, right? Nothing better than having good dinner than having conversation. I think that's what's happening here. Peter, uh, Jesus is so keen on helping Peter find his way out of his paper bag that he's engaging him. Now, Jesus says, now, now Peter, do you love me? Jesus knows that Peter loves him, but he knows that he's dealing with all of that stuff from from a few weeks ago. And so he's pressing on Peter just a little bit to allow Peter to kind of work his way to a point of recognizing his love and his devotion and his commitment to Jesus. It's, It's sort of a back and forth kind of conversation so that Peter comes to recognize the truth about his own commitments, that that Jesus is the one who he wants to follow, that he is the one that he deeply loves and is willing to give everything for. And in that kind of dialogue back and forth, Peter comes to own again his commitment that God is at work in the world and that I am a disciple of Jesus Christ and I will do all that there is to be done to follow him faithfully, no matter what. What Jesus is doing is giving Peter a way to find his path again, to gratitude and to action and to life. And I raise all that this morning to say that uh, as I invite you to practice gratitude and thanksgiving and an attentiveness to God, that my guess is that there are folks in this room who are still kind of wrestling with some sort of Peter kind of stuff. All of us hit the paper bag sooner or later in our lives. And in any given moment, there's some of us that are really wrestling with stuff that gets in the way of us being able to pay attention to God and God's invitation to us. And I want to say to you this morning, if you're waiting until you can kind of get it all fixed and then I'll start practicing gratitude or then I'll acknowledge the presence of God or then I'll come to Jesus and say, okay, I'm all yours, you ain't ever going to get there. You ain't. That's not good English, is it? That's okay. We're in West Texas. Ah, Back early in my ministry, I must not have been more than 26 years old, there was a man in the church, his name was Mick, who uh, was a father and a husband and had a trade and did well in his work, uh, but he had never, ever said yes to Jesus. And I'd talk to him about all that. He says, well, you know, I... I, uh, I just, there's stuff in my life I got to get right before I give myself to Jesus. And uh, he'd kind of push off. Well, I'd talk to him again a few months later, and 
He said, well, you know, I drink a little, I smoke a little, I cuss a little, and I just got stuff I got to deal with before I can present myself to God. And finally, I said, Mick, Mick, you've got this all wrong. It's not about you figuring, and I'm using our language this morning, get out of the paper bag. You're not going to get out of the paper bag. You're going to need to let God do that work for you. It's not about you getting yourself right. It's about you being open and earnest before the presence of God. And I'll never forget him finally coming down the aisle one Sunday morning with tears in his eyes and saying, all he said to me was, you're right, Carson, you're right, you're right. And I knew. And I got to tell you, I got to see Mick, that was in 1986. I saw him about three years ago. Uh, now a little older Mick, but full of life and vitality and faith because he'd learned something. He'd learned that it starts with being grateful for the presence of God who never, ever fails us, who leads us faithfully ever forward. And in that commitment of saying yes to him, I love you, he, God provides all the rest. So what I'm saying is attitude, gratefulness, Letting God help us get our way out of the messes that we find ourselves in. And there's just a little more in here, a little more unfinished business that John is wrapping up as he tells this story. And it comes in three or four little ways. When Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? Yes, I do, Lord. Feed my sheep. You hear that? Feed my sheep. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. And then he closes out with that little word, follow me. There is, I think, buried in this, an invitation to all who follow after Jesus. Uh, this, this call to not simply dwell or to experience the joy of living in a relationship with God. There's also this call to relinquish ourselves for the sake of others. It's really kind of haunting the way that it's told here in this text. Because Jesus looks at Peter, and I think, our hearing it today is our word to us about this business of letting go and letting God be the one who takes charge of our lives, where Peter is told, look, you're young and strapping now, and you get to buckle your own belt, and you go wherever you want to go, but there's a day coming where somebody else is going to put a belt around you, and you're going to stretch out your arms, and in that moment, some scholars think there's almost this this physical slash visual reality of the future that lies ahead for Peter, crucifixion. Where, where if you're going to follow me, if you're going to tend my sheep, then it is a path of relinquishment, of sacrifice, of letting go. And that's the sober one moment that I want to leave you with. Not, not to say, oh, wow, what you're saying to me is that we're supposed to all go out and be martyrs. No, in fact... It'd be a lot easier if that were the case, right? There's nothing uh, more moving and more profound than to say, okay, take me, and in this one fell soup, just give your life up for something. That's what movies are all about. But let me tell you, life ain't movies. Fred Craddock tells the story about the guy who writes a $1,000 check and says, here, Lord, here's my life, just all at once. And the Lord's saying back to him, no, take your check, go to the bank and get a bunch of quarters, bags of quarters, a thousand dollars worth of quarters. And what it's all about is simply giving a quarter 
at a time. That's what life is like. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. It means when that neighborhood kid comes up, you don't say, get lost, kid. You pay pay attention. And when there's a need that's just barely visible, you make it visible and attend to it. Quarter by quarter, we give up our lives, tending the sheep that are around us, nurturing and caring for those that God places in our lives. That's what discipleship looks like. And that's what people do who are paying attention to God do. It's what people do when they've learn to practice gratitude and and receive from God little gifts, they turn around and give those little gifts to others. That's what disciples of Jesus Christ do. And that, this morning, church, is what I invite you to as we hear the words of Jesus say to those ancient brothers and sisters and to us today, follow me.